Well, I, I begin with a photo of the harvest of our pumpkins. These are neck pumpkins. If you're not familiar with them, they are the best pie pumpkins you can have. You can eat them raw. You can cook them just as a, uh, a mess and uh, make, make custards and pies out of them. It's, an open, it's a neck pumpkin. It's, con, con, it's called a neck pumpkin. If you look on the internet, it would be N-E-C-K, neck pumpkin, known as the best. It's an open-pollinated variety. The Amish Mennonite communities uh, keep the seed going. And uh, they're normally about uh, 8 to 15 pounds. Uh, this one here is a 50-pounder. The reason uh, it's, it's a record holder, probably, of some sort. Um, I didn't intend to grow them that large. I had gotten some seeds in Pennsylvania, and uh, one, one of my friends was visiting the farm one day, and he said, uh, you've been up in your pumpkin patch. I said, no. He said, you need to go up there and take a look, because uh, to him it was the largest he had ever seen as well. Uh, so if I was saving seed for next year, would I save it from this one? If that's what I wanted to get, right? Um, I'd probably save for several for the reason of genetics, but you want to save seed of things that you like to eat and that do very well. So uh, this, that's, this seminar is saving seed. Okay, It's a good way to save money as well. Uh, as we begin, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're very grateful to you for the miraculous event uh, that takes place uh, before us as we garden, and we pray that you help us to understand and appreciate that amazing, uh, miraculous power in Christ's name. Amen. Now, when you think of seed, you, uh, there's a lot of things in the Bible that talk about seed, right, and harvesting, things like that. Just name a few, a text that comes to your mind. Parable of the sower, yeah, sowing seed. Mustard seed, the seed of Abraham, people. And when you plant the seed, what do you get? Fruits. Fruits. A lot about that in the Bible. And what? Right, sure. Yeah, the harvest. Right. Uh, do you plant seed? You plant seed for the purpose of harvest. That's right, growing. Uh, there's a scripture it's in Galatians chapter 6, beginning with 7 and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We reap what we sow, right? Uh, for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So it's important to plant good seed, right? And we reap what we sow. Is there an exception to that? If God steps in, <laughs> God steps in. You know, I, I only know of one exception, if we could call it that, and that is a redemption. But by grace, we really don't reap what we've sown, do we? We reap what Christ has sown, and Christ has in, intends to come back and get a harvest, doesn't he? And we know from the spirit of prophecy that if you had been the only one, Christ would come back, would have came for you, right? If you have been the only one, if I've been the only one, Christ would have come back for us. Now, if you can just imagine 
The clouds roll back as a scroll and you hear the noise. It gets louder and louder and 10,000 times 10,000s and thousands of angels are coming from glory and they're coming down and you're saying, this is real. This is really real. Jesus is coming. And you begin to feel lighter and lighter and you start floating up in the air and you look around and you're the only one. And just think about it. And you begin to say, no, Lord, no, this can't be. And he says, it's okay. I knew thousands of years ago you'd be the only one. But it's okay. Now, come on, we got things to do and places to go. And we want to show you, I want to show you a whole lot of things. Now, it won't happen that way, but he intends to have a harvest. And when you plant a seed, that's the purpose of your planting the seed is to get the harvest. So it's important what kind of seeds we plant. Mrs. White, in the book of education, there's life in the seed, there's power in the soil, but unless the infinite power is exercised day and night, the seed will yield no return. The showers of rain must refresh the thirsty field, the sun must impart warmth, electricity must be conveyed to the buried seed. The life which the Creator has implanted, He alone can call forth. Every seed grows, every plant develops by the power of God. So we are participating in something just amazing. Right, And it does take the power of God to do it. He designed seeds so that they would grow, that they want to grow. But when a seed grows, what does it have to do first? Die. Which is a lesson of spirituality in all of life. In order for us to develop and grow, live, we have to first die. And die to self. Right. All right. We live in a culture that uh, has too much to live with and too much, too little to live for. Uh, and we need to live out our faith or we will outlive our faith, right? We have to die to self in order to begin to live. So let me, uh, before we talk about the seeds, let's talk about the, the kinds of seeds that there are. And it's difficult to know the level of uh, knowledge or lack thereof to know what's appropriate to share with you. So at any time, you're welcome to correct me or ask me questions and make sure it's all clear, okay? You'll see in the seed catalogs an OP, meaning open pollinated. What does that mean? Is that, what kind of seeds should we get for our gardening? Open pollinated seeds, a natural or human selection uh, where you uh, how would it Sorry, I had a concussion recently, and I'm not, I always don't click like I should. But an open-pollinated seed, the important thing is it stays true to seed, so the seed can be saved for replanting year after year with predictable outcome. Open-pollinated means it can be bred or developed, so it's not necessarily old. It just stays true to seed. So OP stays true to seeds, open-pollinated Second kind is heirloom. Heirloom is an open pollinated seed, stays true to seed, but it is old. And almost everything of value that I'll share with you today is in a handout that's not here, but is somewhere on campus, I suppose. So it was intended to be here, it was supposed to be here, but uh, ask for it at the registration desk, perhaps. No, I, was, I asked yesterday, and they said it would be here on site, and uh, I didn't have a chance to run back and get it. But I can try to find it. 
That'd be great, great. So you don't, in other words, you don't have to take notes. If, uh, if I share something with you that's not in the handout, I'll tell you. How's that? If it's of any value. So you can concentrate on this and talking and asking questions, and we'll get through it fine. That's a lot to cover in an hour. Well, no, an heirloom variety can develop characteristics of specific regions of the world. You know, you get a, this tomato that came from this part of Italy, and it's because of the soil that was there, because they bred the plants and got the taste in it, and it's specialized to that area, heirloom varieties. And now you also see the F1 hybrid means the first filial generation made by crossing two different parent varieties from the same botanical species, the offspring of which produce a new consistent seed variety with traits from both parents. You get a, uh, you get a uh, poodle and you mix it with a mm, shepherd, German shepherd, and what do you get? Shepherd doodle or something, right? Okay. Now, you might like it, you might not, but, uh, <laughs> you know, some people will. Okay, the cross must be repeated each generation, for an F1 hybrids are usually more vigorous than either parent. That's why you get tomato varieties that are hybridized, because they might have disease resistance, they might have uh, travel capacity, they may be there to... Uh, have a different flavor that you can only get by mixing two, like man and woman, and you get child, and that particular child, and if you're going to do it again, you can do it again. But this is with predictable results so that all the kids start looking alike. And, and if you do that often enough, you can get a, the hybridized consistency. Can I look at your handout and see what it is? Uh, it's called Saving Seed. Looks just like that without the scribbles on it all over it. I don't see that coming through. Do you send that through to Alan? To, I forget the fellow's Alan. Uh -huh. You sent it real quick to me. Uh, sure. Could, let's see. Could, excuse us, please. Let's get, a, let's get this so she can make the handouts. I mean, I, I, I made everything I got. I don't know. Sure. Okay. I can double check it if I can do this. I don't know how to end this program to do that. Mm. Well, let me you see if have I have back it. to it if you exit. No, but someone here might. Okay, ah. It's wonderful. Okay, while she's talking, doing that, let me uh, go ahead. Uh, what if you were to make, uh, some people ask, or are hybrids bad? Are they bad? No, they're not bad. Uh, they're, they're very functional, and if you want sometimes a certain type of uh, plant to grow, and you've got diseases in your area, and it's disease-resistant, and you want to be sure you got tomatoes that year, you may want to plant some hybrid seeds too. Yes, ma'am. Her question is, can a hybrid bring forth an, a new type of variety or plant? Yeah, because uh, if you take the male flower of an acorn squash and rub it on the female flower of a zucchini, and you let the root ri fruit ripen, and you save the seed, and you plant it next season, you may, and hope for the best. You can get something ugly. You can get something inedible. You can get something misshaped. You can get something interesting, and you may get just what you wanted. Um, a hybrid is not bad. It can occur naturally. It does all the time in nature. And in seven generations, the DNA stabilizes enough that the successive generations will remain true to seed. That's how we got 
a German Shepherd, and a Poodle, and a Terrier, and a Collie, all from the same dogs because we bred them by species, by, by traits and traits and traits and traits until the shepherd doodles, you could breed two shepherd doodles and you get another shepherd doodle, you don't get another poodle. They stabilize the genetics and it takes about seven generations to happen. Um, so, good. Is, is uh, now, how do we get back to where we were? It's a very nice lady that came and helped us. You know, it's a lot, lot bigger up here than here. Could you help me, John? <laughs> Man. So what type of seeds that you choose depends on your philosophy about gardening. Thank you so much for that help. Okay. Um, but the important thing is you want to use good seed, right? Use good seed. Because if you put good seed in the ground... Uh, you know, and it begins to sprout. It puts off hormones into the ground. It exudes things in the ground to, to depress the sprouting of other seeds in its area. And so you have less weed seeds germinating if you've got the good seed that has got lots of strength and lots of power in there. And it uh, can keep that other seeds from sprouting as many as three or four weeks. But if you use weak seed, you may only get three or four days of effective anti-growth of hormones in the soil. So you use good seed, and hybrid seed generally tends to be less vigorous than heirloom or open pollinating seeds, and it requires usually more water and more fertilizer than the other varieties, and it has less mineral content. It's a weakened variety generally for those for vigor, but it might have the traits that you want because you like that specific taste of a tomato. Okay. All right, if cross-pollination occurs, it will only affect the fruit of the next generation. So you can have beans that cross-pollinate, and you will never know until you plant the seeds that you saved from that current year to next year, except corn. If you plant corn close to the other corn, it can cross-pollinate, and you'll see the results this year, right? You, you have, uh, what's the corn call, where you put uh, white and yellow corn close together, and you get yellow and white kernels in the same, same ears. That happened this year. So how do you manage that? You can stagger your plantings, note the maturing time, and take a guess about the tassel and pollination times. So if you plan to save seed for next year's planting, be careful growing popcorn and sweet corn close together. All right, the uh, question is how far apart should they be? I have a chart in your handout that will tell you for about most everything that you grow how far apart it should be. Yeah, The standard is about 200 feet if you're really careful. But you don't have to worry about that for most things. And we'll get to that. Now there's unpredictable and unknown factors about saving seed. Uh, but you want to save the best seed you can. So it has to do with soil health, has to do with weather, uh, yeah, d diseases. So you just kind of do the best you can. If you plan to save seed for the next season, uh, plan the type of seed that you want to save and grow that, as well as the variety. Uh, if you, 
Let's see, I don't know where it's next here. Yeah, I got it. Uh, if cross-pollination occurs, we covered that, right? We got, sorry. All right, we did this and this one. All right, uh, if you don't want to limit yourself to one botanical species, this is what you do. Stagger the plantings for the flowers at different times and the distance between the varieties. Here's some principles. I don't know how to do this, obviously. My computer screen and yours are considerably different. Now, if you're saving seed, for a lot of times, it's, it's quite easy, actually, uh, especially if you're growing beans or eggplants and corn and cucumbers and melons and peas and peppers and tomatoes. All those are really easy to save seed from. But here are the principles. Never save seed from a diseased plant, especially peas. Peas are really bad to carry on the disease to the next generation. Select seed from a large variety of parent plants. Why? Because you want a big genetic mix, right? Make sure the seed is dry before storing. Keep its consistent storing conditions and choose your best seed. So your principles. Now, a good friend of mine is from Nepal. She says when they garden, they save their seed over there. They save one plant in the garden for the seed for next year. And perhaps because of the high... Uh, mineralization from the Himalayan mountains that bring the water down. They get by with that. I don't know that we can do that. We save seed from a large variety of parent plants and keep your genetic mix going. When I plant the neck pumpkins, I realize that, uh, you know, if I just plant my neck pumpkins next year and save seed from that and plant that again and save seed from that and plant that again, what am I doing? We call it inbreeding, isn't, aren't we? And so every once in a while, I get a friend in Pennsylvania to save me, get me some seed from a local farm where I make a trip up there and I buy some pumpkins and get that genetic mix to keep going. So you don't want to inbreed very much because of the vigor of the seed. Um, and we'll cover some of these about uh, how to save it, of course. The first is, I'm sorry, if I'm going, if I'm going too fast... Okay, good. All right. Yeah, that's what will happen. Or you might get something you like. Oh, thank you. The question is, if you inbreed too much, will you get some strange and odd things? Yes, eventually. You'll weaken. You know, things turn to get, start, get smaller, generally. That's your first sign. Get smaller. Yeah. All right, so several, how do you save seed? Well, you've got to get it ready for saving. And the uh, first process is called fermenting. It's very simple. You shouldn't be intimidated by any of this kind of thing. What do you ferment? You ferment things like tomato seeds that uh, are all gooey. And fermentation copies what takes place naturally in nature as a fruit rots or an animal eats it and then discards it in its feces. And uh, so here's what you do to ferment seed. You want to ferment the kind that are encased in some gelatinous kind of gooey stuff like uh, tomato or cucumber. Is that water that you put it in? Yeah, that's just plain water. So cucumber seeds are hard. These are, this is a uh, cucumber that's, you know, the seeds are very tender and small and not good. I just got this at the store last night. I wouldn't bother saving seed from that. You want to get a fruit that's ripe. 
on the vine uh, or on the plant. The gelatinous kind tend to be vine. Uh, and let it ripen, let it age a little bit in there, you know, overripe maybe sometimes. You get a cucumber that already turns yellow. You know how the seeds are getting to be bigger. You know, that's great. Okay? Put them in a jar. Shake it real good. And they begin to separate and float. And then you take out the, ba- the uh, pulp. And you're left with seeds that are floating around. And lo and behold, some say go to the bottom and some float on the top. The ones that float on the top are no good because they're not dense and they won't sprout hardly. So you just pour off the ones on the top and you're left with ones like that that sink to the bottom. Those are your good seeds. And the good seeds, then you stick it in the in a room that's 70, 80 degrees for about two weeks. Every once in a while, you leave the lid off, and it'll kind of get icky on the top, and then you pour that off, add a little bit more water, and pour it off until you get rid of most of that debris. And then once it's, uh, once it's fermented a little bit, you pour it off, and then those seeds you can pour out on a tray. You wouldn't want to pour them out on a cloth like I just did or a piece of paper. Why not? They'll stick. That's right. So you put them in a screen or on a plate, set them out of the sunshine, let them dry quickly. You can pat them with paper towel if you want to. And then you take those seeds and put them, once they're really dry, then you got to put them somewhere. And we'll get to that here in a moment. Okay. Uh, did that, did that kind of flow well enough? All right, fully dry. That's the one way. Second way is to dry the seeds. All right, you peel back the husk of corn, hang it by the husk under a shed roof, bend it down on the stalk, and let it dry that way. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, she says, why is it that when you throw your seeds on a compost pile, you always get tomatoes and squash, but you don't get cucumbers and others? Peppers. Somebody have an answer? You raised the question? Maybe they not There's too many variables, but I would think that the tomatoes and squash, they just tend to be vigorous seed. You know, they haven't been hybridized a whole lot, and uh, they're just, well, I mean, they have been hybridized a lot, and the reason they have been is because they're vigorous to begin with. Um, they just but, come up like weeds. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know why they, they, you just get that. But that's true of every compost pile I've seen. Oh, okay. <laughs> there is consistency. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> All right, so fermenting is one way. Drying is another way. Take the seeds that dry in the pod, rub it or flail it in a pillowcase or something like that with light pressure so you don't break the seeds and separate them from the pods, and then you winnow it. All right, for small seeds, you just throw them in a bowl, squish them down a little bit and break it up, and then like you're panning for gold, you just swing it around, swing it around, the light stuff goes to the top, the heavy stuff goes to the bottom, you can blow it off or scoop it off. Generally, when you're saving seeds, you have a whole lot more seed than you're ever going to plant anyhow, so if you waste a few seeds, it's okay. Here's how I do it. I throw them in an old wheelbarrow bucket like these are bean seeds. I step on them until I crush them a little bit, 
Then I pick a breezy day and I dump them from the barrel to a big pan. Do that several times until you have a seeds mostly in your pan. If you have a too much wind, you may want to lessen the distance between the two, uh, the pan and the, the bucket or whatever you're putting it in, or put a sheet down or something like that or a tarp, and then you don't lose them out into the ground. And you put them in a little container, you label the container. That labeling is important. Because <laughs> you look and say, are those yellow wax beans or were those? <laughs> you know, because some beans look an awful lot alike when they get. <laughs> and what year it was. Yes, ma'am. Yes, it surely is possible. You can, uh, the question Are there some seeds that have survived thousands of years? They certainly have uh, in places like Egypt, in tombs, that the humidity and temperature were pretty constant. And they've gotten wheat from those places and planted it, and it grew. Uh, but, uh, and I have in your handout a chart that gives you the basic, for nowadays, how long a seed will generally last that you can store it and have good viability for replanting and growth. Yeah, I'll get right to that. We'll get to that soon. Where, where do you store your seed? Uh, all right, uh, I don't know if this is all in order. Yeah, I did that. I showed you how to... Uh, get rid of the pulp. If you have a seeds like pepper seeds uh, that aren't pulpy, all right, they clean easily. You still want to rinse them off. Most all seeds that have any wetness to them originally, rinse it off because it gets rid of the sugars that are on those seeds, and they'll store better for you. Uh, so that's seeds that are wet when you get them. We, I don't know, might not be in the right order here. We did the. Did we do the dry? I skipped it. I did it. Okay. Yeah, okay. Thank you. All right. Dampness and warmth can make a seed mold or germinate. That's why when you dry them, you want to make sure there's plenty of air and that you do it in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, so place the seed on a plate, window, screen, metal cookie sheet, something. They dry quickly and thoroughly out of the direct sun. Bean weevils lay eggs. I put it there twice by mistake, but for emphasis, perhaps, in flowers or immature pods, and then they hatch out inside the beans and eat their way out. So you ever pick chestnuts, and you think, oh, these are wonderful chestnuts, and you put them in the refrigerator, and you come back in a week or two, and they've got holes all over them, and, well, there's a way to deal with that. You freeze them. You take your seeds that are dry seeds. And so you don't get bugs having eaten them. You take them and put them in the freezer for five days. But if they're not dry, what will happen if you put them in the freezer? The cells of the seed will break, and then you've lost your seed. Okay? There's a, uh, there's a great story of survival of during persecution, religious persecution in Russia, Stalin's time. A uh, family father took his wife and two children, I believe, and went out into Siberia, into a remote area. And they lived there for 40 years, only them as a family. And it's one of the best survival stories in history. They never even knew of World War II. They were discovered by some mining expedition people in the helicopter who thought they saw what looked like a human structure. And they flew down and brought with them um, 
a flu that killed two of the family, I believe, because they had no immunity against the common diseases of culture. Uh, the lady, uh, one daughter is still alive, but they had gotten down to one grain of rye. The mother died of starvation. But the father planted that one grain of rye and got 18 grains. But he guarded that day and night. And from that, got back their crop of food. Okay? Uh, so saving seed may come in handy someday. <laughs> it, uh, it's a book story. Uh, look under um, survival stories, Russia, and you'll have, there's YouTube uh, videos, uh, documentaries to that effect. Yeah, it's an incredible survival story. Uh, but saving seed. It's, uh, that, I think of that story when I think of how important it is to learn how to do this. If you use hot peppers, saving seed, you want to wear gloves. Uh, I, I will. That's a great one. Said so hit it with a hammer and I'll come to how to do that. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, was it really? Thank you. The one before that? No, this one here? Yeah. Um, let's do it right now. If you have a bunch of bean seeds and you want to make sure before you put them in the freezer that the, you should be able to put them in the freezer... You lay one down on something very hard, and you take a hammer and go, bang. And if it smashes, it's not dry enough. If it, if it shatters, it's dry enough. Okay? So if you save your seed, you just want to make sure that uh, it passes the hammer test. Dry seeds. It's in the handout. <laughs> There's a lot of things in the handout. Uh, and if it's not dry enough, what do you do? Dry it longer, right? Until it does that. Now, most of the time you won't have to. You probably don't have bean weevils eating in your beans. But uh, if you did, you'd be sorely disappointed someday if you don't take this. Uh, the other thing that you can do is to make sure or certain, and if you're not able because of volume to put everything into a refrigerator somewhere that you want to store it, you have to store it in buckets, then you put several bay leaves in that bucket, and that keeps eggs that are in there from hatching. How that works, I don't know. Or put some diatomaceous earth in with your beans, or the seed, whatever seed you have, and so that if any larvae hatches out and they start crawling around, that the diatomaceous earth will take care of them too. And that's a good way to save seed. Does that work for grain too? It works wonderfully for grain. You can put diatomaceous earth in any grain bucket container that you have. Uh, that's a good question. How to dry your seeds? It's best if it's dried by natural air, not in the sun, not a dehydrator, unless it's set very, very low. Are all seeds freezable? I suppose. Yeah. Not, necess not necessary to do that, but it's certainly... Oh, thank you so much for the effort you gave to get that hand out. That's incredible. <laughs> That is really remarkable. I don't know how I'm doing on time, but I do have a lot to get through here for you. Uh, more handouts? Okay, over here. Great. Behind. All right, seed storage. In your handouts, it's probably about the third or fourth page. There's a chart at the bottom of the page that shows you how long you can store your seeds. 
if you store them well. All right, you all there? One year, two years, three years, four years, five years, six years. Because if you can save your seed for five or six years, you're way ahead of yourself. I mean, you buy seeds now, and you've got seeds for years and years, right? If you store them well and are able to store them well and know how to store them. And, uh, and you, you look at a pack and say, ah, oh, that's dated 19, or 2010. Should I, should I waste my time and plant it or not? Well, you can test that seed. Take a few seeds out of your packet. Are they any good? Put them on a paper towel, dampen that towel, and uh, let it sit out in, uh, so it doesn't in a, in a shady spot of your house and see if the seeds germinate like you would if you're sprouting seeds. And if a high percentage of those seeds germinate, then you know you can go ahead and plant them. If they don't germinate, then you know you just throw the package out. So this is how you can uh, keep see how long can you keep the seeds. Now it depends on uh, a lot how you store them. But uh, for sure, do not vacuum seal your seed. Those seeds are alive. They're just waiting for the right combination of, so- of temperature, moisture, s- sunlight to germinate. So do not vacuum seal your seeds. You put them in an airtight container, but it's, it's not vacuum sealed. It should have air in it. Put them in a jar, in a bottle, a plastic bag, store in a cool, dry environment, preferably where the temperature and humidity are consistent. Where would that be? A root cellar generally depends on where you live, sure. Refrigerator works wonderfully. A freezer works wonderfully. But wherever you store the seed, here's the rule. If you add the temperature and the humidity, the number should be less than 100. So if it's 80 degrees, the humidity has to be below 20. If it's 20 degrees, you can have 80% humidity. Whatever. That's the rule. Should only have about eight percent moisture left in the seed, but uh, a freezer is an excellent place to put them. And when you have this chart before you, and it says you can keep bean seeds for three years, if you put them in the freezer or the refrigerator, you may be able to keep them for twenty years. Uh, in other words, can we duplicate the environment to save a seed for a thousand years? Well. We have international seed banks that are keeping our seed in places like the Arctic, you know, but, um, you know, you and I can't be doing that. And you, know, you want to save seed for your great, 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 great grandchildren? <laughs> It'll mean so much to them. <laughs> no, but, you know, I don't garden to weed or spend money. Uh, maybe you do. So over the years, I've tried to learn how to grow, have a garden without spending my time weeding and without spending much money. And this is one good way to save money, is seed. Saving your seed. Okay? Oh, all right. As John mentioned, if your corn, beans, those kind of seeds, when you hit them with a hammer, if they shatter. The other one is seeds like pepper seeds. If you fold the seed and it breaks, good. If you fold it and it bends without breaking, it's not dry enough. Okay. You need less than 8%, 8% or less moisture in your seed. You can put them in a Mylar bag or a paint can. Put them in a plastic bag if you want to. If you're concerned about saving seed outside a refrigerator or freezer, Put in O2 absorbers, silicon gel, 
a few grains of rice that'll absorb the extra oxygen. It's not necessary. Take care of moisture in there. But the shell of a seed can toughen with storage time. The longer you keep it, the tougher it can get. If you put it in the freezer, sometimes that'll help weaken that shell. Or you can take a lady, an emery, emery board for fingernails and scratch the seed when you take it out. And it will break the seed capsule easier and sprout more easily. And you'll have a higher germination rate. If you, have a plate, if you don't have space in your refrigerator and you put them into a, a bucket or a can, a metal can works great. A gamma lid on a five-gallon bucket works wonderfully, too. But since you have to get in and out of your seed storage place, you, you want to use a gamma lid rather than just a tight lid because it uh, hurts your fingers or it's always a nuisance to get open. But always label it and rotate your stock your inventory. Replace it with the new that you want. And I recommend that you grow what you like to eat and that you store seed from what you like to plant and grow. Because that's usually what you're going to use your space with, right? Everything in life's a trade-off. And usually if you grow it and you don't like it, I grow food I don't like, but I grow it for my wife. Yeah, she likes figs, fresh figs, so I grow figs in a greenhouse. We're at 4,000 foot elevations, cold winters. Figs? Uh-huh. Uh, eggplant, zucchini. Usually she comes out and says, where's the zucchini? And I ignore her for about three questions, and after a while you can't ignore her any longer. And so I got one over here. <laughs> you know, plant things... You like to eat. That's usually what you will eat. All right, so let's move to plant pollination and isolation. You have a chart to that effect. All right. <clears throat> I want to review that chart with you um, so that you have an idea what all the symbols mean in case you have any questions about this. You notice the pollination method? It should be a chart that looks like that. Okay, got that? Great. All right, how do uh, plants propagate? The V is vegetatively. What are some that veg vegetatively propagate? Artichokes. Great. Tomatoes. I mean, potatoes. Great, great potatoes. Asparagus. Asparagus. That's a tricky one, isn't it? Yeah. Different ones. Potatoes. Okay, so you got that idea. Insects would be the eye. Uh, if an insect is pollinating, it might not be true to seed, right? Because they go from one thing to another, to another, to another, and doing their job, wonderful job for you. We have bees. They do a great job. But you know bees are interesting in that when the bee gets out in the morning, it says, I got the dandelions. Another one says, I got the lilies. Another one says, I got the pears. You know, they, they are plant-specific in the gathering of pollen so that the dandelion gets pollinated by to the dandelion, to the dandelion, to the dandelion, to the dandelion. It's remarkable. But they aren't doing all that for you in your garden because they might go, I got the beans, but they'll do all your beans for you, you know. 
mixture beans for you. So if it's insect pollinated, that's a high chance it could be uh, not true to seed. How about cross-pollination? Well, that's a good chance it won't be true to seed as well. Self-pollination. Peas do not cross with anything else. They don't. Peas do not cross-pollinate. There's self-pollinating ones. What would be some self-pollinating ones? Beans. Yep. Beans, self-pollinating. Most all your beans are self-pollinating. Okay, and then wind. Okay, now if it's wind, ay, ay, ay. That can really be a problem, can't it? Because your neighbor's planting something too. GMO. Yeah, GMO. <laughs> so it's hard, as best as you want to do uh, you could, with complications. And you have wild plants that'll mix, right? Queen Anne's lace will mix with your carrots. So what do you do? Well, you can take a bag, paper bag, put it over top of the plant, put a rubber band around it when it comes to the flowering time and hope. But if, it's, if, it, if it requires pollination of another plant, you can't do that. So you just sometimes have to hope for the best and see. But you can do an awful lot um, with just isolation, okay? Plant time. So, all right, so let's go to the distance we covered. Did we, did we cover it adequately? No. All right. If you've got garlic, you plant from bulbs, it doesn't matter. You plant 20 kinds of garlic together, it won't matter. Your potatoes won't matter because even though the seed may cross-pollinate with other potato seeds, or flowers, right? You got that, they can cross-pollinate. But you're planting from the potato, so that won't matter. Okay? Sweet potatoes don't matter because you're doing from sprouts. If you're doing the biennials like beets and broccoli and carrots, biennial meaning it puts seed out the second year of growth, right? So if you have carrots in the ground and you're waiting for them to go to seed, they don't go to seed, it's not a problem with your carrots. They just aren't old enough. You have to get them through the winter and then grow the next year, and then they put out their seeds. Now... I've saved seeds from carrots, and it's wonderful, but carrot seeds are so cheap and so prolific in volume from what you can buy for a few cents. Does it really pay you to try to keep them alive through the winter? Not where we live. I keep them through the winter to eat fresh or keep them through the winter in the root cellar. We generally throw away our beets and potatoes, uh, beets and carrots and sweet potatoes that are left over from last year when we are harvesting them this year. Uh, just three weeks ago, we threw away the rest of our sweet potatoes from last year. So we harvested the crop this year. So if you start with good seed and good soil, generally they keep a long time. And you can, because we like to eat year round. I don't know if you, you do, but we do. And that's one way to do it. All right, but the beans and peas and tomatoes have perfect flowers meaning the male stamen and the female carpal parts in the same flower. I, in, when I first started the greenhouses and I grew these tomatoes, and you know in February you're 
picking tomatoes, and this is really great. I was faithfully going out every morning and taking my finger or a Q-tip and going from flower to flower to flower and all the tomato plants. And then there'd be new flowers, and so I could get those the next day, and I pretty well could keep up with it that way. And I was really so proud of getting these tomatoes, not realizing that they were doing it before they opened up. And it was totally useless for me to be doing this. <laughs> and, and so you can, plant, you can plant this room full of 20 different varieties of tomatoes, and you will get a little crossing, but pretty much they will stand true to seed side by side because they were fertilized before the flower even opened. Okay? Because they're in the same flower, both parts. <clears throat> so distance is not a concern. For those kind that have perfect flowers. Some plant species, such as corn, okra, and spinach, must cross-pollinate if they're going to stay strong and be productive. So you want different varieties cross-pollinating, which makes it difficult to be saving those seed if you want predictable outcome. That's why we have an awful lot of hybrids of corn. Constant inbreeding of, of cross-pollinating plants, even if they are of non-hybrid variety, will result in weak, non-productive plants after the first couple of years. So even if you start with non-hybrid seed, you can't save the seed of cross-pollinating species indefinitely without a cumulative negative change in the offspring. So they have to cross-pollinate. So don't try to save it all, all the time and be worried about it cross-pollinating because it, it's pretty tough for these kind of corn, okra, and spinach. So the solution is buy enough seed to last for several years, store it at a good place to ensure germination, and plant several different non-hybrid and non-GMO varieties and cross-pollinate them every year, and your seed will stay good and strong. Now, the self-pollinating plant species as beans, peppers, tomatoes, eggplants, and garlics, and peas can be grown and the seeds saved year after year with little or no genetic change. That's nice to know. Okay. Am I going too fast? Or is we're, we're with me okay? All right, good. Because I want to get to the ones we usually have the most questions about. The brassicas cross with other brassicas of the same species easily. So broccoli and Brussels sprouts, cabbage, cauliflower, and collards, kales, and colorabi are all this species of brassica. Okay. Turnips will cross with other brassica rapa. So wild field mustard, bok choy, they'll cross with your turnips. Beets will cross with chard. Even though they have perfect flowers, most are self-incompatible so that the pollen and stigma on the same plant recognize each other and say, ah, 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 can't do that. Okay. So they will cross-pollinate with something else. They genetically are similar, and they block their fertilization. And that can be a real challenge to you as a seed saver to be trying to save from this group of plants. Now, the Kirkabit family are monoecious, monoecious. They have separate male and female flowers on the same plant. And they don't need another plant to pollinate. So your pumpkin, you could plant one pumpkin plant and still have pumpkins. But you might have to do a little work for the pumpkin because 
a flower grows on this part of the, you know, the new part, the stem, and then the vine, and then a, a, a day later or two days later, another flower, and a couple days later, another flower as the vine gets longer and longer, right? Well, this flower back here two weeks ago was ready to be pollinated, but there wasn't a male flower to pollinate it yet because the vine hadn't grown long enough. And so even though they have on the same plant male and female flowers, the, the timing might not be right. So that's why you want to grow more than one pumpkin plant. So the flowers of one plant can pollinate, the male of one plant can pollinate the female of the other plant. Okay? And that helps you with genetics. Okay. They do not cross-pollinate between species, but can within a species. What does that mean? All cucumbers can cross-pollinate with any cucumber. Okay? And all watermelons can cross with other watermelons. An acorn squash is in the same species as a zucchini. So an acorn squash can cross with a zucchini. But a honeydew will never cross with a yellow summer squash because they're in different species, even though they're in the same family. So when you're planting, I thought I had cucumbers and cantaloupes cross one time because what I got from the seed saving looked awful strange. You know, it's not what I thought I planted. <clears throat> but a cucumber cannot cross with a cantaloupe because it's different species, even though they're in the same family. So in your garden planting, planning, you can plant the summer squash. But now, can I plant my summer squash close to my cantaloupes? Yes. Can I plant them close to my watermelons? Yes. Can I plant them close to my cucumbers? Yes. But could I plant my butternut squash next to my field pumpkins? No. Go right to the, yeah, I have a list down here at the bottom of that page. Uh, should be, might be the last page of your handout, is it? Yeah. Right there at the bottom. Because this is the one that can get a little confusing. Most of us don't have gardens far enough big enough to be able to plant things far enough apart from each other. Uh, I have three different gardens to avoid the cross-pollination, but I have plenty of space to do that. So pumpkins always go over there or up there, never here, right? Or I could plant my field corn over there, my sweet corn over here, and they're several hundred feet apart. Mostly you won't have problems. But uh, I am also conscious of the wind with planting corn. If I'm planting, I plant the field corn upwind from the sweet corn. I don't plant the sweet corn upwind from the field corn. Right? So you just think a little in terms of the planting of your garden in terms of what will cross with what and how far apart it needs to be. And if you don't mind the sweet, sweet corn being a little tough, Go ahead and plant it upwind from the field corn. Or make sure that your tasseling times are different and the planting times is different so that you have pollination 
at different times. And a, a real good book, if you want to get serious about it more than what's right here, then uh, Susan Ashworth's book is probably best known and quite straightforward and simple, even though it's technical. Over here, it's uh, great. So on site, there's a couple of these books left over. From seed to seed. From seed to seed. Mm -hmm. Susan Ashworth. That's A-S-H-W-O-R-T-H. <clears throat> I like, uh, I'm not able to put all our seed in the freezer or refrigerator or in buckets, sort of. And I, uh, one thing I found very easy to use is go to a building supply store. And they have these plastic containers for screws and nails and little divisions. Lots of little divisions and the lid then snaps down over all those. And you put all your little tomatoes here, put them in little coin manila envelopes and label them, stick them in there. You can t toss then the whole box right into the refrigerator. It doesn't take a lot of seed to grow a big garden. So it, you don't have to save all your seed, but save enough. And that's a very simple way. It stays very organized. You keep them well labeled, contained. And you can say, this is my space in the freezer for my garden next year. It's very simple. And can you put them in little plastic bags? Put them in plastic bags. The important thing is label. Label. Because sometimes you open things out. And you, you know, the worst notes are better than the best memory. Label your stuff. Label what it is and what year that you harvested it. And, uh, and then... You know, when you get to new stuff, you might want to just toss them out. It's like planting your trans, planting tomato plants to transplant, and you think, well, you know, I'll plant 50 of them, but you only have space for 20. And you give them away, and then what do you do with these beautiful young tomato plants? You just throw them out. And you just have to do that with your seed, too. You just don't, can't keep it, and shouldn't keep it, because it takes up space. And it gets old, and then you kind of want to throw it away anyhow. So get yourself a system and toss it every, you know, it's just, even if it's viable for a couple more years, if you don't need it, you know, get a system and go for it. Yes, ma'am? Well, it depends on what it is, but uh, generally a week or two until it looks like it got really sour and you fermented it well and cleaned it up, and then dry it, dry it and store it. Um, and, you know, just as your example with compost, you don't even have to do that. But and tomato seeds, you can store them all messy. And you just kind of dry out the mess and you plant them again. They still grow. But what the fermentation process does, it, it kills the microorganisms that will cause disease on your seeds. And so it's a nice thing to do. Yeah, cucumbers do it very, very easily. Just let your cucumber mature. Uh, you want an open pollinate variety or an heirloom variety? Oh, no seeds. It could be the variety of cucumber that you planted. And uh, that bitterness is a genetic thing. It's not related to the moisture or dryness in your cucumbers. It's genetic. It's a toxin, cucurbitacins. Uh, it's toxic to humans. But we tend not to eat the bitter cucumbers, especially those that are really bitter, that are really bad for us. Uh, but as John says, it's a matter of maturing your plants sufficiently and then getting ones that have good seed in them. I don't 
know the answer any more than that. Yeah, keep trying. That's good. Uh, you know, practice when your life is not dependent upon it. You know, learn how to do it when you don't have to have it for food. It's a really good thing. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.